Alrighty, guys, welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Lowdown. By the sound of that music, you know what we're talking about today. That's right. We're talking about one of my favorite film franchises of all time, the James Bond series. But before we start, let me introduce my panel. I have Mr. Andrew Stupart. Say hello. Stupart. Andrew Stupart. Did I say Stupart? Oh, I added a heart there. You're right. Oh, Anyway, I think we got confused there. That's okay. Uh, so that's Andrew Stupart, and I also have Mr. Alex Pope. Do you expect me to talk, Goldfinger? That's right. I you're supposed it. to say, you're supposed to say, no, I expect you to die. No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Very, very good. Awesome, guys. All right. So today, yes, we are talking about quite possibly the most influential film series of all time, quite possibly the most influential film character of all time. There's probably not a single action movie that has not been inspired by James Bond. We would not have Mission Impossible, the Bourne Identity series, or uh, any of the Fast Furious movies if it were not for the character of James Bond. So we're going to do things a little bit differently with this show. We aren't going to be reviewing all of the movies because that would just take way too long. There's 24 official Bond films, so we would just be here all day if we did that. So what we're going to do, each of us has selected our top three favorite Bond films, the films that we feel best represent the character. Maybe we've seen them all, maybe we haven't, but we're going to discuss. So guys, let's begin. James Bond. So James Bond is the brainchild of Ian Fleming. It started off as a book series, as most people know, and it's actually still going on today, but under different writers, of course. And uh, when he was writing these novels, he, they were produced by Albert Broccoli and Harry Saltzman. And when Sean Connery was cast in the original role, Ian Fleming was absolutely horrified. He said Sean Connery reminded him of a cab driver. He was not refined enough to be his James Bond. Well, after the first film came out, he was so impressed with Sean Connery's performance that he decided to give his character of James Bond a Scottish background in the books. So a little bit of trivia there. And also he wrote most of the books at his Jamaican estate, which he called Goldeneye. So a little mm. bit of trivia there where the title of Goldeneye comes from. But before I throw it over to you guys, I'll just tell a little bit of a quick story. Uh, I saw my first Bond film in 1999. It was The World Is Not Enough. Mm -hmm. And I went there. My father took me to see it. I was 11 years old, big bucket of popcorn. And I sat in the theater with my jaw dropped the whole time. I was completely mesmerized. And after that, I still have that image actually of like James Bond jumping over the bridge and the explosion yes, yes. happening in the background. And I was like, this is awesome. And my dad, he went and bought the entire Sean Connery DVD collection. I watched them all and I absolutely fell in love with Sean Connery. I thought he was the coolest man in the world and I became an absolute Bond fanatic. But uh, Alex, I'll throw it over to you first. Maybe tell us a little bit about how you feel about James Bond and maybe give us your first choice of film. Well, um, I grew up in the 90s, so obviously my introduction to James Bond was Piers Brosnan. Uh, yes. And, I. yes. Um, and I think ever since then, I've always sort of, I've been a staunch, like Piers Brosnan was the best. Um, but now with my age and my wisdom, I've, I've realized that I needed to do a deep dive to sort of rediscover some of the other actors who played, who played Bond. So I'm really glad that you, you uh, chose this topic this week because I've just been binging on 007 movies. And, uh, and I've got to say, I'm a, I am a big Sean Connery fan. So, uh, so I can't wait to get into this. I'd say, um, Right off the bat, I'm going to tell you my my uh, favorite Sean Connery movie was definitely uh, Goldfinger. Nice. Um, you know, it's just I think it's a movie where everything lined up perfectly. The production was in full swing. They really had um, had caught their stride in terms of how to make 
a Bond movie. Yeah. Um, also, um, uh, Sean Connery was playing the character at his at the top of his game. He wasn't sort of worn out at that point, um, and he wasn't new to the role either. He was just just at the peak, and uh, and the the Bond villains and the Bond girls were great. The music was great. Everything was just at the top of its game. So uh, so yeah, that's absolutely um, my favorite Sean Connery uh, movie, and it was a joy to sort of go back and and uh, rediscover that stuff. Nice. So, Andrew, before I throw it over to you and you tell us a little bit about how you feel about James Bond, I'm going to guess one of your three is probably Goldfinger, but I'll let you explain if it is or if it isn't. But go ahead. For me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what? You, you hit the nail on the head. I think I think a lot of people, whether you're someone who's my dad's age, who was in his late 60s, early 70s, someone who may be Gen X or Gen Y like us, a lot of people, if you go back and watch the series and I had the fortunate ex experience. I used to uh, subscribe to Crave TV, which has HBO. And so it actually has the entire movie collection of Bond all the way through. It has every single Bond movie. So earlier on in, in the winter, when I was having some winter blues, I watched every single Bond movie back to back to back in order. And so I got overwhelmed, you know, and when you told me about this episode, I was a little bit overwhelmed with the question, because how do you pick there's, how's, I think there's been five different guys who's playing Bond, six altogether who have played him. So it's hard to go back and like pinpoint which character, which actor, you know, nevertheless, which film is my favorite. I'm going to put Goldfinger as number two, and that may surprise some people. Number one is going to be Goldeneye. And the reason I say that is because I'm a 80s baby, 90s coming of age, Gen Y. And so like, like Alex and like yourself, we grew up in the nineties. That's when we became, you know, that's when we became teenagers and whatnot. And so I remember going to see, my aunt and uncle took me to see Goldeneye yeah. in theaters. When it first came out in 95, I was nine. And just seeing it on the big screen, Pierce Brosnan um, kicking butt on the big screen, just like locked me in. But then the thing that sealed the deal was of course the game came out and that was one of the best selling games for Nintendo 64 ever. And I don't know the stats behind it, but it's probably in the top 10, like of all time in terms of best selling video games. Do not quote me on that because I don't have the stats to back that up. I really should have done some homework before the episode, but regardless, it's one of my favorite video games. And the fact that they, the fact that I was at that, at that age, of nostalgia, you know, being a being a, a, a nine or ten years old and playing the game and and watching the movie over and over again, it's it's really anchored it as as you know, Goldeneye being number one for me. Nice. Well, I'd like to address what you two you brought up two films, so Goldfinger and Goldeneye. Those two aren't on my list. They're in my top ten favorite Bond films, but they didn't quite make my list. But I'll go to Goldfinger first. What I love about Goldfinger, Goldfinger was the third Bond film. And it kind of set the template for the first series, for the whole series. It's when the formula finally went into effect that, and how we know Bond today. You had the title song that a famous artist would come in and sing, right? You had the pre-title sequence, right? It, it was the first kind of campy Bond, whereas the first two were direct spy thrillers, right? This one merged the camp, the jokes, and the seriousness perfect and set the template of how we know Bond today. You have a fantastic uh, performance by Gert Froby, the guy who plays Goldfinger, who was completely dubbed, which baffles my mind because he's one of the top three Bond villains of all time. Oh, for sure. How could you forget Pussy Galore, of course? Pussy Galore, hey, <laughs> I, what's I your name? He's, he's off, he's, so Bond's being knocked out and he's been taken on the plane because he's essentially being kidnapped after he got caught. And so they're on the plane and he wakes up and he sees, he sees this lady, this beautiful Bond, <laughs> Bond girl. He goes, what's your name? Pussy. And she just straight faced pussy galore. Like yeah. she's so fucking almost aggressive when she says it. I'm just like, yeah. And I remember being like, I think probably a teenager when my dad showed me this movie for the first time. I was like, what did he just fucking say? Like, and Sean Connery's response to that, I must be dreaming. Yeah, just I must be dreaming. <laughs> no, it was it was perfect. And, and it's so funny, Misha. Sorry, I'm kind of interrupting whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's so funny because 
Oh, I used to date of someone who was very, very feminist, right? And I and I consider myself to be very progressive. I believe, you know, in in I'm very pro-feminist movement. I'm I'm pro-gay rights. I'm pro like I'm I consider myself across the board to be very progressive socially. So when I tell people, especially my ex-girlfriend that I was a Bond fan, she was pretty fucking pissed because let's be real, like this stuff was written in the 50s and 60s and you could get away with names like Pussy Galore and Holly Goodhead. Let's, I don't have to really explain that one. Um, or just, you know, James Bond saying, what are we going to do in this hotel to kill some time? And he just takes off the, the robe mm-hmm. of the girl. I think that was in, 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 in Spy yeah. to Love Me or Roger Moore, like, yeah. pretty much in all of them where he just like undoes the robe and then it cuts to black because you, you know, back then you couldn't have sex scenes. Um, it wasn't acceptable, you know, on, on the on the silver screen to have sex scenes. So it was always implied, but it was so fucking misogynistic. It was so mm-hmm. sexist. And so people judge me a little bit when I say that I'm an avid Bond fan. At the same time, I'm like, you know what? We're adults. Take it or leave it. If you don't like fucking James Bond, you don't have to sit and watch watch it with me. I'm going to get my popcorn and I'm going to rewatch them in another five years and fucking love it the same. I agree exactly what you're saying there, Stupart. I mean, basically, like, it's it's sad to say this because I, I really, truly am against uh, misogyny. I think that women should be treated as equals. But at the same time, when you watch these movies, the sexism is kind of like the spice in the dish. Oh, and for you sure. You're almost, like, you're almost like waiting for those, like, sexist yeah. lines yeah. Just, just for yeah. a chuckle. But it's but at the same time, I really want to emphasize like this is not how we should be making movies these days. No. But no. it's just fun to go back and watch how how it was. And, and it's like, a guilty, let's be real, a guilty Alex, like, <laughs> like Alex, let's be real on Misha. Like as much as I, I want to echo what I said earlier, you know, all of us I think on this show are very progressive socially and we believe in equal rights and all that sort of stuff, and we believe that media especially modern media should should have diversity and all that all that great stuff right i'm not i'm not trying to downplay that but let's be real i think it was was it uh not live and let die what was the one where where he goes you only live twice you only live Mm -hmm. twice i think there's a part in japan right and you only live twice and he goes and 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 one of the the head honcho guys at this at, at the at the house says to james bond you know, in, in our culture, uh, men are first and women are second. And then they basically imply that he's going to have like sex with these women in this hot tub and that he's getting like <laughs> and, massages. And Sean Connery says, oh, I think I'll come retire here. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so who would, who in the, what cisgender heterosexual man wouldn't want to be Sean Connery in that fucking scene? Like, let's be real for a second. As yeah. sexist as it was, it, it caters to a fantasy. And I think that's the yes. whole thing around James Bond is that it's the fantasy of both unbelievably attractive women, mm-hmm. unbelievable gadgets that are state of the art, space travel, traveling underwater, skiing down black diamond-esque slopes and the fucking cars, right? Like I'm not a big gearhead, but the fucking Aston Martin cars, mm-hmm. like, oh, it's like, it's like, a, it's like a boy's, fantasy you know what yeah um, you, st- you stole the words right out of my mouth like yeah. this is it's a male fantasy and really if you don't want to if you don't want to look peer inside the mind of the average man and and what he wishes his like life could be like um don't do it don't watch it <laughs> but yeah, it, yeah. it is what it is what's interesting though is actually i know a lot of women that are huge james bond fans as well so as much of it of a male fantasy it is for us males, right? A lot of women love James Bond too because they fantasize about being with James Bond. So oh, for sure. It's interesting. But you know what? I did see an interview with Pierce Brosnan in the making of GoldenEye. And he said something that I thought was really good. The interviewer asked him, why is this character so successful? What makes James Bond works? And he said, because he's a winner. He wins at everything. Oh, yeah. He gets the best girls, the best drinks, the best suits. He's good. He never fails. He's a constant winner. And when he said that, I'm like, yes, that's the appeal. Because for men, they want to be a winner in every aspect of life. And James Bond is that. But uh, I want to go back to Goldfinger a little bit. A couple things there. The DB5, the introduction of that car, 
and the ejector seat was so cool. The gadgets full force, full force in Goldfinger. And then the iconic scene with the actress Jill Anderson, who gets painted all in gold. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a fantastic, fantastic scene. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. Um, to mention Goldeneye a little bit. So for all of us, right, we're all around the same age. I mean, Brosnan was our bond growing up. So there's a lot of nostalgia and sentimental value there. But Goldeneye, you know, we have Xenia on a top. Yes. With the Bond Ooh. traditions. Yes. One of um, the best Bond uh, villains of all time. Yes. Well, so, fem, yeah, I guess she would be like a female. I, would you call her femme fatale? Would that be the proper she would be, terminology? Yeah. Yeah, she wasn't actually the villain. She was the femme fatale. But yeah, femme fatale, absolutely. and she was yeah, she was a bad guy, but she was a bad girl. You know what I mean? She was really oh, bad. Girl. So good. <laughs> and one of my favorite lines from that movie was, uh, what, "What's you know, James? What's James? What's your status?" He goes, "I'm on the top of things or whatever." I don't know the full line, but Penny on the top said of that. Yeah. things, it was yeah. so good. <clears throat> but uh, you know so- what? What I love about Goldeneye, my main thing with Goldeneye is the villain, 006, Sean Bean. Yes, he's a fantastic villain because in a lot of Bond films, the villain is always some like overweight guy that if him and Bond got into a room and they had a fist fight, Bond would win no hands down. Whereas Sean Bean is his equal. He fights as good as him. He's as smart as good as him. Mm -hmm. He knows all of his tricks. The scene where he grabs his watch and said, oh, still press here, do I? And he turns off all of his mind. You know, he gets girls like he does. He's an equal to Bond, Mm -hmm. which... I, I always love that. So I love GoldenEye. It's in my list of top 10 films for sure. And Misha, what I'll, what I'll tack on to that about Gold, since we're on the topic anyway, I mean, I kind of want to just play out this whole GoldenEye conversation since um, it is probably, I think it's actually, I, if I, I was going through my list earlier in my head and every time I did the list, when I was going through it in my head, like GoldenEye was at the top. And again, it is that nostalgia factor. I'm not going to lie. Like the video game had a huge impact on it. Um, Pierce Brosnan's performance um was very contrasted against not only roger moore but also timothy dalton because all of them had their own take on bond but i think i think pierce brosnan was a very balanced version he did have the one-liners that you would expect from james bond um but he didn't over camp it the way that roger moore did because roger moore was super super campy and some of his jokes were super lame whereas pierce brosnan was the perfect a quintessential sort of mix, right? He was a little bit dry at times. He was a little bit aggressive at times. He was a little bit, he did have his one-liners and his zingers and he was good with the ladies. It just, everything fell into place and he, and he was very balanced, okay? But um, what was I going to say? Oh, um, on, on that topic, what I was going to say about, not only about Sean Bean was, I, I like his back character, Sean Bean, who's also the, in Game of Thrones, by the way, same actor who played... Um, uh, forget the family's name. You know who I'm talking about. Right? Yeah. Stark? Yes. Anyways, they're, he's he was in the first season of the Game of Thrones, so very well known British actor. But the fact that he has that backstory that he was an MI6 and it's that sense of betrayal because these guys are so close, right? Like these double O agents, they literally put their lives in each other's hands. And you think at the beginning of the movie that he's like all in and that, that they're both like in it for England and they're in it for the mission and for the, and for their homeland. Right. And then when you hear his backstory later about him being a Cossack trader and, and having that, that those, you know, all those, um, all those uh, convoluted and crazy relationships during the cold war and his family being fucked over and all that stuff, like it kind of, it, it has that extra sense of, 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 of really good character development. And you nice. see this, this brother, these two brothers that, that, you know, this lie comes to light and, and all of a sudden you meet him. He's no longer the deceased, you know, late 006, but he's Janice, Janice, I should say Janice or Treval, you know, Trevelyan. Right. And so it's that, nice. it's that, it's not just like, this guy who's bent on world domination and whatever, like you usually see with Goldfinger or whatever, it's that extra backstory and the betrayal aspect, I think. That works for sure. Yeah, uh, for Alex, sure. do you have a, another film you want to throw out there? Um, I decided to sort of like venture into Roger Moore territory for my next. Uh, yes. For oh, my be careful, one. Alex. Be careful, man. You might you might offend some of us, but go ahead. Um, I really uh, I really enjoyed the Spy Who Loved Me. 
I thought okay. that was okay. that was a fantastic Roger Moore movie. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the things that I I didn't like about it right off the bat was the music. The music was awful. It dates a little. Yeah. It, it is so dated. It was like 70s porno music mixed with James Bond <laughs> music. It, it just, it didn't work for me, but I know that that was the style at the time. It just didn't age well. Um, the other thing is, is Roger Moore as Goldeneye, not my favorite, probably one of my least favorites. I just don't see him as a very smooth talking Sean Connery, Pierce Brosnan type of guy. Um, he reminds me of Hal from Malcolm in the Middle, uh, really? Brian, Brian Cranston. Um, he's just he's just kind of an awkward guy. And it se- but at the same time, it seems like he has to like almost work a little bit harder to get the attraction of of the Bond girls. Um, and I guess I guess it, it kind of works out at the end of the day. But um, it was such a good movie. I thought. Um, uh this was kind of the first movie where they started to appreciate the women characters a little bit more yeah. um, with uh, Anya Amasova. I know I'm pronouncing that wrong, um, but she agent. was, yeah. she was the Russian agent. And uh, you know, before, before this movie, like, you know, if you were a Russian, you were by definition evil. If you were a woman, you're by definition sort of like some sub, sort of subservient role. Um, so the fact that they have a woman Russian playing a, a part that's equal to um, to 007 is really cool. It's very forward thinking. And uh, and I thought she was just like a great addition to the movie. And and it was just it was a lot of fun to watch just as a movie. Roger Moore, not so hot on, but uh, but he's, See, it's interesting. He um, I'm a big fan of The Spy You Love Me. Number one, you have Jaws, oh, yeah. which is a great, great oh. villain. Right. He's, he's the muscle. Right. He's there to have elongated fight scenes with uh, James Bond. But I think uh, I forget the actor's name. Richard Keel, I think, is the actor's name. But he creates a very menacing performance. And I love all the Bonds. What I like about Roger Moore is I always felt that if all the Bonds were in a boxing ring together, Sean Connery would win the fight. Roger Moore would walk away with the girl. And what I mean by that is they cast him because Roger Moore was very much like, you know, a very typical English, British gentleman, a connoisseur of fine wines. And he fit that campy version of Bond. He was a gentleman, right? But you would never believe he could beat up anybody in a fight. And he went on way too long as Bond. I believe in his last film, A View to a Kill, he was 58 years old. Yeah, it was 56 or 58. And I actually, now that you say it, I think, now again, I feel really bad because I didn't do my research ahead of this episode. So I'm giving myself a little slap on the wrist for not being more read up here. Um, But I think he is the, historically, if you look at the history of all the different Bond actors, he's the oldest. And that was View to a Kill 1985. And that was before they went over to Timothy Dalton. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's because he was just getting too old for it. And he was almost fucking 60 years old, right? Well, that's when they switched over to Timothy Dalton for The Living Daylights as well as um, License to Kill. And I can talk about that later because there's some interesting trivia about Timothy Dalton. We can talk about that a little bit later. But to go back to to Roger Moore, um, yeah, he actually was the longest um, running villain. But isn't isn't Daniel Craig about to eclipse him or no? I think he's eclipsed that now because there's been so many oh, sorry, delays yeah. with No Time but, to Die, right? So I think with Daniel No Time to Die, because if you think about it, 2006 was Casino Royale, and that was that was um, Daniel Craig, and now that's 14 years later. Okay, whereas Golden Gun. Man with the Golden Gun was 1973. No, 74. He started 74. in uh, Live and Let Die, which I believe was 73. 73. So Live and Let Die was 73. And then, sorry, 74 was Man with the Golden Gun. And then he retired in 85. So yep. actually, Daniel Craig's going to, I'm not my strongest suit is not math, but I think Daniel Craig is going to eclipse him as the longest running bond. Yeah, for sure. Um, but that being said, even in, 19, in 1985's Vito um, Kill, um, Great movie. I love the movie Vito Kills. It's great. And I love, I love, oh my God, I can't think of people's names right now. Christopher Walken. 
Christopher Walken at Christopher Walken as Zorin, yeah. as the guy, as the mastermind who has all these, you know, the nuclear uh, proof uh, computer chips and all that stuff. Great movie, but you could tell that Roger Moore was at the end of his rope. Pun intended. Yeah. There's that scene where he's over the Golden Gate Bridge on the fucking blimp or whatever. <laughs> Anyways, I digress. I guess the point I'm making is by the to your original point, Misha, you could tell that he was getting a little bit winded and a little bit old for the role. That being said, I understand why people liked him, especially in the 60s and oh sorry, in the 70s and early 80s, because he was he did add that extra camp. And, it, and I think if you can get your head behind the fact that it was kind of uh, not parody, but it was kind of like that extra little bit of cheese yeah. that, that he added to the role. You can either take it or leave it, but I understand why people liked it. And I, and I really did um, like Spy Who Loved Me because I, I think that was, he was at his peak. I think I would argue that Spy Who Loved Me, he, that, that was like, that or Room Ranker, um, uh, Roger Moore was at his peak in terms of his performance, in terms of his ability, in terms of just his general portrayal of Bond in his own way um, in 1970, it was 77, right? 1977, Spy Who Loved Me. And, and, I, and, and I do have to just quickly go back and say, I agree with at that point, while it was still a very, there was misogynist, excuse me, misogynistic elements to the film, um, you did see, James Bond having equals, you know, with the CIA agent or whatever. Um, and so you start to see fem female characters in a more, uh, you know, progressive light or whatever. But some, someone that I did want to call out was uh, Kurt Jurgens, And yeah. he was the guy who played Strongberg. And, exactly. and as much as he may not be in my top three, you know, villains, he was a very strong villain just by the way his, his, his eyes, like the way he would he would send these scientists off to their death, right? Like he, they would go up the elevator. You remember that elevator in, in Spy Who Loved Me and it had the trap door? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was and awesome. he had no issues. Like you could tell he was psychotic because he had no issues with pressing a button and blowing up a helicopter, okay? Or, or opening the trap door and the guy falls down into the death. Like he, it was just like, it was like a cold calculated like, nothing else to him you know what i mean just putting people to their death it was fantastic i love the i love the elevator awesome yeah. stuff well i'm gonna throw out one of my films out there and it's one of my favorites every time i watch it to me it gets better and better and it's the very first bond film dr no mm -hmm. so why i love this film is because they don't quite have the formula right and so there's no gadgets and it's just a quintessential spy thriller and I love Sean Connery's first initial interpretation of the role. He's just like Ian Fleming's James Bond from the books. He's very racist. There's a character there, Coral, who's kind of like his sidekick that helps him when he goes to Jamaica. And he, he's like, fetch my shoes, do this, do this. And he treats them like absolute garbage, right? You have Ursula Anders coming out of the water, iconic, yes. right? Which has yes. been so many times. And it's... It's the film where James Bond is his absolute coldest. We've never gone back to the James Bond from Dr. No, there's a scene where a guy tries to assassinate him while he's sleeping and the guy shoots his gun and then Bond has him cornered and the guy tries to take his gun to shoot Bond and then Bond says, that's a Smithern Western and you've had your six and he shoots him and the guy falls on his back and then Sean Connery just shoots him in the back like just absolutely cold. We've never seen Bond like that before, but I love Dr. No because of its simplicity, right? It doesn't yeah. get as complex or outlandish or over yeah. the top yeah. or spectacular as other Bond mm -hmm. films. So I, I, I love the starting template of Dr. No. That's one of my choices for one of my all-time favorite Bond films. I think that's what a lot of people don't like about it is because it's such a slow paced movie. And when you're used to the modern Bond films, going back to watch uh, Dr. No is like, it'll put you to sleep. Yeah, like it's, it's different. It, it hard, it's harder to watch from an action movie perspective. But if you think about it as a detective spy thriller, it's, yeah, it's doable. And that's exactly why I love it. Because it's just a detective spy thriller. It's so simple. That's what I love it. And one thing I want to mention, um, Joseph Wiseman as the villain, Dr. No, he is so dry and he's so wonderful, um, and he's a great, 
great villain to get this series started off with. But uh, yeah, Alex, do you have another movie or Andrew, another movie you want to throw out there? I have, uh, I'm going to go ahead and throw out one more. Um, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Ah. Um, This is sort of like a a sleeper hit for me because like uh, George Lazenbury, what, am I pronouncing that right? George Lazenby. No, was, not, uh, not even close. Not even close. I'm Lazenby. my dad. So let me, let me interrupt for a second. My, my dad, that's actually my dad's favorite film because my dad was a teenager um, when that came out. So that, this was my, if James, if Goldeneye was our era, On Her Majesty's Streaker Service was my dad's era, okay? He was 15 when this movie came out. And if you heard him, if he heard you say Lazenby, no, there's Lazenby. 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 Uh, say, say Lazenby. It three times for me, please. Like laser. Laser. Yes, laser. <laughs> Sorry yeah, to I, thought, I just wanted to correct you. Yeah, I I, I picked that movie because like I really thought that the that uh Blowfield was fantastic in it. Um he he was just Blowfield? like Blofeld. Blofeld. Oh my God, Alex, are you are you on drugs right now? Are you? Do we need to cut? Do we need to cut the episode and start off? Cut it. Lazenby. No. Blofeld. 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 All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Uh, but I thought he was fantastic, and the the layer the layer was amazing on top of the Swiss Alps. Um, the angels of death were were awesome. Um, just everything about that was so good, and of course uh, Tracy. Okay, I'm gonna try this one. Tracy DiVincenzo. Or just say her first name. Tracy. <laughs> or just Tracy. Yeah. Um, I thought she was an excellent Bond girl. And uh yeah, it was it was such a good movie. And I think he took a lot of flack because he wasn't an actor. Um, he was a model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they cast him for one movie, and I thought he did such a good job. I think that Sean Connery missed out on being part of a fantastic movie um i yeah. think the movie was so good that it probably um sucked him back in after that and then he did a couple more movies i don't know if that had anything to do with it or not but you know uh, what's what's interesting about uh on her majesty's secret service it's ironically it is one of the better bond films and i don't even care if you like bond films this is just a great movie it's a great character piece we see a man become vulnerable fall in love and his wife dies at the end which is something we've never seen in a Bond film before. But I think George Lazenby gets a bad rap. He was a great physical Bond. You watch some of those fight scenes, the way he moves, he's so agile and athletic. He just wasn't the best actor. And it doesn't the, help I, that he's the thing is, is like That's what I heard so much. Like I, I listened to a lot of reviews about it first. Mm. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to give this one a shot and dedicate a couple hours and go watch it. And honestly, I didn't think he was that bad. I thought he was fine. Like, do you really need to be a Shakespearean actor in order to nail uh, 007? Not yes, really. you do. No, not really. <laughs> well, the thing with, with George Lazenby, again, I really like the film and I don't mind him in it. But the reason he didn't come back is because his agent really gave him bad advice because it was 1969 that film came out and his agent told him, hey, listen, This is now the hippie revolution, make love, not war. Uh, Bond is a thing of the past. This franchise is going to die. Take this one movie, you're a big star and go on. So he rejected a seven uh, contract offer from Albert Broccoli and Harry Saltzman because he thought he was going to be a big hotshot star now. It's not Broccoli, by the way, it's Broccoli. But anyways, go ahead. I think, oh, well, it might be. It could be broccoli. Thank you, Stupart, for, thank you, Stupart, for correcting all the correct All of you guys on your fucking horrible, horrible, like, <laughs> interpretations of how these characters, of all these people's uh, names. Yeah, no problem, guys. <laughs> but no, Lazenby basically screwed it up kind of for himself. He became very arrogant. But I do think if Connery was in her on Her Majesty's Secret Service, it probably would be, without question, the best Bond film. But anyway... Uh, Andrew, do you have another film? Well, you know what? Before I, I am going to jump into my next one. You guys will be surprised a little bit by it, but I did want to talk a little bit about there was some politics. And again, I didn't do all the possible reading that I maybe could have uh, leading up to the episode. But I know that, you know, Sean Connery, we have that interesting dynamic where he did the first five. I think it was Dr. No, um, Russia with Love, Gold, Goldfinger, 
Thunderball, Thunderball. and then and then um, you only live twice. Is that the one? Yep. Yeah, only live twice. And then he was supposed to be pulled in. Correct me if I'm wrong. He was supposed to be pulled in, but then he he wanted to give it up. Um, they bring in Lazenby, and then he comes back for Diamonds Are Forever. And yeah. so there's the there was some uh, politics at play, and it wasn't like it, it, it was weird that you had George Lazenby kind of sandwiched in. Um, and so I know that there was some politics there, and there was some you know you know talk about oh do I want to come back? Do I want to keep going? And and so it was interesting to see some of the behind the scenes. And I'll also talk about, you know, that that um, Timothy Dalton, if I remember correctly, was actually scheduled. He was supposed to do, I think, three or four of them. And then there was a, all this back and forth and guffuffle with the studio. And that's and that's why you saw that hiatus. You'll know that you'll notice that the hiatus, the first Bond hiatus, took place between. 1989, which was Licensed to Kill, which was the second um, Timothy Dalton movie, and it was enough, it was six years before the the um, debut of Pierce Brosnan in Goldeneye, um, and so part of that was to do with politics with um, uh, Dalton, or sorry, with Timothy Dalton. Um, little piece of trivia there, and so there's, I guess, the overall comment that I wanted to make is that. You know these casting choices not only have to do not not only are they artistic or marketing related casting choices, but there's also politics between the actors in the studio and contracts and and all that stuff that has to be ironed out in the background. So there is politics happening back in the background I th there. I think um, there's an interesting I think there's an interesting pattern that we see with every Bond actor. I mean, because Bond the franchise is so much bigger than any one man. Yeah, like yeah. when you step into that role, number one, it makes you wealthy. It makes you a, a super famous actor, um, but it also typecasts you. And you're kind of like stuck in this role that everyone expects you to be. And all of your other movies kind of like pale in comparison yeah, to that. Yeah. So there's, there's also this kind of resentment that you have towards this character. And you see it, you saw it with Sean Connery. I'm sure you saw it with a bunch of others. Um, but you definitely see it now with uh, with Daniel Craig. Oh, yeah. Um, he, yeah. He's in the same boat. He really hates being Bond, but at the same time, it's the cash cow. It's what everybody sure. knows him for. Yeah, for so. sure. And and I and I think it, it's it would be like if Mark Hamill was in anything. This I mean, he was the Joker. Let's be real. He was the Joker in Batman. But how could you watch Mark Hamill in anything else? after him being Luke Skywalker, right? Like, I think it's that same thing, like when you're in such an iconic role, whether it's Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker, James Bond, or, you know, Harry Potter, whatever, like Daniel Radcliffe, like, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's his name, right? The guy who played Harry Potter, Radcliffe? Yep. Am I getting that right? Okay. So once you're in those iconic fantasy action roles that everyone's heard of, how do you remove yourself from that or even from the genre, right? Like. You know, Connery did have works afterwards. He was he was Indiana Jones's father in um, Last Crusade, so he was you know um, India Indiana Senior, right? Um, and he was in that that spy movie from the nineties. What was the one? It wasn't Hunt for Red October. What was the one he was yeah, in? Yeah, it was nineties. It was Hunt for Red Red October. There was Hunt for Red October, and then there was another one where he was in a heist. The Rock. Well. He did The Rock. Yeah, so there's there he did have his you know Sean Connery is a perfect example of someone who was able to continue his career after Never Say Never Again, which was the only non Eon Productions one I think. Mm -hmm. um, it was a it was a James Bond movie, but not really. Um, so he that was in that was in 1984 I think 1984 83 somewhere in there. Yeah. He did that last Thunderball remake, Never Say Never Again. And then, and then, even though he had a career after that, it was he was still in that like sort of action hero type role, right? Like, so it's hard for people like Daniel Craig or Sean Connery or whoever to break out, Alex, to your point, um, from those roles. Yeah. Um, I guess changing the topic a little bit, um, something that I did want to—it's just kind of going to come out of kind of come come out of left field a little bit. But while we're talking, you know. While I am on this kick talking about um, Pierce Brosnan and my love for Goldeneye, the sequel, Tomorrow Never Dies, and I and I was kind of on the fence, is, is this going to be eclipsed by uh, Skyfall, which is one of my favorite Daniel Craig movies, and I kept wrestling back and forth because I love Skyfall, 
But I think I think Tomorrow Never Dies is going to beat out Skyfall for me as probably my second favorite, or maybe my third. Favorite. Really? Not the yeah. world is so not enough. Had, so, so let me rank them for you. So number one, I'm going to put Goldeneye. Number two, I'm going to put Goldfinger. And then again, it was a bit of a wrestling match between two or three titles. I think number three, I'm going to put Tomorrow Never Dies, and I'm going to tell you why. So Tomorrow Never Dies was the second entry from Piers Brosnan as James Bond. That was 1997, and it was his second you know, round, able to like jump in there as the character. And I think the reason I love it is the whole thing's about the media industry, and it's about this yeah. evil villain, the, the, the evil mastermind Bond villain in this one is Elliot Carver, um, who was played by, excuse me, um, Jonathan Price. This was Jonathan Price. Um, playing, playing Elliot Carver in 1997 as his media mogul. And the whole thing is about how, he, in order to have all these exclusive headlines, he basically has to make up the headlines by starting, he was trying to basically start a war with, between, between China and the rest of the world in order to, so he can have exclusive coverage before it even happens. So he's all, you know, he's, he's masterminding on the one side, he's masterminding all these like, new, you know, these basically World War Three, right? And, and the war with China. But then on the other hand, he's running this mass, you know, this, this, this conglomerate, media conglomerate, and he's masterfully bringing the two together, basically starting the war so he can have the newspaper printed the day before it happens. And he has first exclusive coverage of this war that he's masterminding. So I think that may be the media arts graduate in my, you know, in my soul that loves this movie. I thought it was a fucking great movie. Well, what do you, you guys have to say about it? The thing about Tomorrow Never Dies, for me, uh, if I were to rank all 24 official films, Tomorrow Never Dies would be right smack in the middle. Because to me, it's okay. a pretty generic Bond film, right? It's, it's, it's very run of the mill, if you will. But okay. ironically, okay. I do think that there is actually one scene in Tomorrow Never Dies that is one of the best scenes in the entire Bond canon. And that's the scene where Bond finds his uh, former lover dead on the bed. And he's seeing the news that's going to be broadcast in like two hours. And he has this conversation with the assassin. And it's just a very weird, awkward uh, conversation. And again, we go to seeing Bond being that cold killer from Dr. No, right? Where he says, hey, I'm just a professional doing my job. And then Bond says, me too. And then shoots him right in the face. Nice. Right? <laughs> very few times do we actually see yes, him yes. be like that. I don't even think in the Craig series we've seen him be that cold it comes that in cold, cold yeah every yeah, once in yeah. a while well, yeah um, what's the, what's the one where he's dancing with the woman and he sees the assassin and he turns and uses the woman as a as a as human a shield. Shield. yes i remember that it's, it's i can't remember which movie it is but it was oh it was i remember like that the, scene i remember that scene because it was i remember it because he knows that's that the lady betrayed him right that the, that the woman yeah. betrayed him and so he and he knows that he's about to get shot and and he, and he pushes her in front of the, the assassin, right? The human shield, a woman yes, as a human yes, shield. Yes. I just can't get over that. <laughs> no, and you know what? And, and, and I think I, I could see you guys were a little bit taken back. And I'm not saying it's my favorite. I'm saying it's probably in my top three. Again, it's just because of the, the fact that this, I think just the idea was genius. The overarching mm -hmm. idea of the plot was genius. And that this guy, in order to make those headlines, don't forget, this was before social media. This was before yeah. the, the, the true rise of digital news, right? This is when newspapers were still huge. Magazines, newspapers, cable, TV, and radio were still the way to go, right, in terms of, in terms of um, digesting media and consuming media, right? So for this guy to be this mastermind and, and kind of run a war on one side and then also have the broadcast exclusive rights to that war on the other side, I thought was fucking brilliant i just want to say i think that the world is not enough was the next the next big pierce brosnan hit um you know with with electric king yeah. the bond girl yes. turning turning out to be the actual villain and yes. uh, the, the torture scene as well like where she's got yes. the, the thing that's like digging into the back of his neck and he, yeah, it's just yeah, like yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah i mean there i i think that that was a a better movie but I, it's all interpretation. To, you know what? Yeah. I actually, I agree with you, Alex. I think The World Is Not Enough is Brosnan's second film, but I, I do like that 
Bond film, but I do feel it's a missed opportunity because it's the first Bond film where a woman is the main villain. Let's get right to Bond's weakness, right? Having a hot female <laughs> as his villain, but they really don't do much with it. And I really <laughs> thought it would have been cool of like, what happens if it was a, a Bond girl from his past that came back and was that villain? Because I think you could have made Bond a much more vulnerable character if, if you know, the, the, the main villain is a woman. But I still like that film very, very much. But I'll throw out one of my films there. My, my second film is From Russia With Love. Uh, I love this film. I think if you're talking, uh, if you're a Hitchcock fan, anybody out there, if Hitchcock ever made a Bond film, it would be From Russia With Love. It's a quintessential spy thriller. It's very much of its time from the 1960s. And what I love about it, number one, the opening title sequence. When Red Grant, the henchman, is following Bond, he kills him, and he takes off the mask, and it's yes. another guy. Mission yes. Impossible ripped it right off, right? But I really love the villain of Red Grant. Uh, He's so good. It has probably the best or one of the best fight scenes in all of cinema. Because yes. in, in most fight scenes, you know, Bond pulls out a gadget or something to get out of it. But in this film, it's just two guys in a confined space. They're eye gouging. They're like, they're plucking at their scalps. It's vicious, right? It's oh, the yes. most yeah. savage Bond fight scene of the whole series. Oh, yes. Absolutely. 100%. But I also think um, the, the, the Bond girl in From Russia With Love is absolutely lovely. She has a tender quality to her. She really gets to Bond, she's fantastic, right? And I love the briefcase. It's just a quintessential spy yeah, yeah. thriller yeah. of its time. And it's very yeah. classy. A lot of respect to the filmmaking. Uh, From Russia With Love, great Bond film. There's also, some, there's also some of the worst womanizing in that movie as well. Oh, for just sure. The, for the sure. Uh, completely unprovoked. <laughs> yeah, slap. Like, yes, yeah. slap, yes, yeah. yes. And we have... We have to remember, I think it goes back to our original discussion. Had they had James Bond shifted up 50 years and been made now, it wouldn't, it would be a totally different film. I don't even know if James Bond would exist if someone if Ian Fleming had, had lived 50 years later. Um, I don't think the series would even exist because a lot of this stuff wouldn't get past um, you know, censors right now. I what's the word? I mean, I especially yeah. because like she wasn't even, she wasn't a villain. He suspected that she was like in on it, yeah, but she yeah, wasn't, yeah. she was totally innocent. Yeah. And he smacks her in the face, yeah, which is yeah. just like, as a viewer, it's upsetting to see, yeah. but at the same time, it was the sixties. It was, <laughs> like, the, and that's exactly it. Also, like, and, and again, that's why I'm trying to say like, you we're all progressive people and we know that hitting women is wrong and that abuse is wrong. But this was just, it's this, you have to remember the spirit of the times, right? You have to remember one of those of my favorite, you know, terminology. That was my favorite terminology from my history class, the spirit of the times. When you have to think about what was acceptable on media 50 to 60 years ago, and you have to take your way, your, you know, you have to take yourself out of the lens of 2020 and put your, you have to look through the lens of, not, of 1962 or 63, whatever, right? And so, I, you know what, and I, I am going to echo when I was thinking about this list, it was difficult for me to make this list because I have a lot of favorites. I do really appreciate from Rush with Love. I love the scene with the, this is such, people are gonna give me, you know, shit for this, for the gypsies. Yeah, you know, no, it's a great scene. Yeah. It's, but I just, because yeah. I'm using the word gypsies, I know that's considered racist in our clean mm -hmm. culture, our cancel cart culture that we have. Um, but I love the scene with the gypsies. Yeah. I love the fire. Wasn't that the one with the major fire on at the gypsies sort of homestead there? Yeah, at the camp there. Yeah, there's a major fire, and the way that they would have done that in the early '60s to actually make that happen, there was no CGI back then. That was a real fucking fire. Um, so I loved, I loved the whole scene at the gypsies sort of, you know, homestead or whatever you would want to call it there. I love the train. I love all the, again, like what you guys said with the close quarter action. And that's not the only one that happens. I think Spy Who Loved Me, they have it as well with Jaws. You remember in Spy mm -hmm. Who Loved Me where Jaws comes out of, you think he's dead, but then he comes out of the closet. Not yeah. coming out of the closet, but actually out of the fucking real closet in, in, in the train car in, uh, in, in, in Spy Who Loved Me. So I love it. They just seem to do well with trains. They do. <laughs> they, they, they just, you know, 
James Bond seems to, to, to have awesome action scenes on fucking trains for some reason. So Alex, have you done your three films yet? Uh, have you done your three? I think I've done my three, but I think we should talk a little bit about the Daniel Craig series because I don't feel like anybody, am I wrong? Has anybody picked a Daniel Craig movie? No, I, you know what, Scott, I kept wrestling. So obviously I said Gold, Golden Eyes number one, which is a Brosnan, Goldfinger number two, which was a, which was a uh, Connery. And I kept mm-hmm. wrestling with Tomorrow Never Dies. But the other one that I was going to mention was Skyfall. Um, yeah. And I and the reason I love Skyfall, it was the third, it was the third or fourth. It was the third one. Right? Was that, the third. That, that, it was the third one. Yeah, that was that was the third one, 2012, that Daniel Craig did. And he really was in the apex of his role. And that's when we see Dame Judy Dench um, in her final role mm-hmm. as uh, M, who, yeah. you know, I, I'm gonna say very first of all, I was blown away in Goldeneye when they ch- decided to make, when, when the uh, other guy retired and then they brought in Judy Dench for a female, talk about progressive, right? His boss is now a female in GoldenEye and she stuck it through all the Pierce Brosnan movies and the first couple of um, Daniel Craig movies as well. And that was her final scene where she was basically retired in, in, um, and, and killed in um, Skyfall, but not only that, but also just the fact that we go back to his roots and we go back to the sky, the Skyfall um, estate, and he basically has to go back to basics and do all these booby traps just to just to survive. So I really love Skyfall, and I love the opening with Adele as well. I love the opening with with Very Adele tall. singing the main theme. Um, My feeling I- about. Uh, do you, do you want to go or me? I got a lot to say on this. <laughs> sure, I got a lot to say. I, I think Skyfall is a very good Bond film. I've always felt, though, it's a little overrated. Some people have it as the best Bond film ever made or like top two or three. And I can't go that far. I put it in my top 10 for sure. Um, I just think it becomes a little bit too Dark Knight at the end. It's like Silva's whole plan of breaking out. It's exactly the Dark Knight. It's like copy and paste that movie at the end, right? So not very original there, but what I do love about Skyfall, most Bond movies, right, Bond ends up at the villain's lair and the final fight is in the villain's lair. In this Bond movie, it's subverted. The final fight is on Bond's home turf. Yes, exactly. And I love that, right? Well, there's not really a Bond girl in this film. He's got that one Bond girl that, you know, he sneaks in on the shower with her, right? Remember that scene? Um, but, you know, M is with him along the way. So you could say yeah. M is the Bond girl here, right? But uh, I love the ending of Skyfall when he comes in and it's the office from the 1960s, right? And it's like a lead up into the original Dr. No. Like, I love the little visual homage to that. I do think, Scott, it's a beautifully shot film too. That whole yes. fight scene in silhouette, yes. right? That's yes. a great fight scene. In Skyfall, but uh, I do like Skyfall quite a bit. It's not my final film, but it's a very good film. Yeah, Alex, go ahead. I just I just want to say I loved Skyfall. I thought it was maybe one of the best films that we're talking about here today. However, I don't feel that it was the best Bond film, and I don't think that it stuck to the formula almost at all. Um, very little in the way of gadgets. Very little in the way of girls very little in the way of, of travel. Um, the Bond, the, the villain's lair gone. It was a great movie, but it wasn't a Bond movie. And that's, and that's, that's my issue. No, and you know what? I can see where you're coming from, Alex, because you're right, it, it, it broke the mold and it broke away from that, that formula that, you know, let's be real, when it comes to spy movies like James Bond, um, we rely on that formula. And, the, and, you know, when I'm watching these old ones with, with Sean Connery and Roger Moore, you can predict like when that opening scene is going to happen, you can predict that someone's going to get shot at a certain point. You can predict that he's going to find his lover at a certain point. So there's certain points that you always expect as, as this heavily formulaic um, genre. Okay. It was, so, it was kind of like Sherlock Holmes. Did you see the, the Sherlock Holmes with Robert Downey Jr.? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a good movie, but it had nothing to do with like being a detective and like 
the typical Sherlock Holmes type stuff. It's like, I get it. It's good, but you're totally misleading me. You might as well just call it something else. Something else. Um, you know, and you know what? I, I think I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. And I think one of the reasons I did like Skyfall and while I, while I was, as I mentioned, I was wrestling uh, about whether it should be in my, in my top three is because it does break that formula. And I think, I think it's okay once in a while to break the formula and I will guide you back. And maybe I'll make you eat your words a little bit, Alex. I'll guide you back to On Her Majesty's Secret Service. The only, correct me if I'm wrong, but the only film in which Bond has desired to get married. Okay. And, and, and actually that, that actually plays out later on in the films where we, we actually, there's callbacks to him losing his wife. And I remember there was a scene in, in, in License to Kill. Yeah. Felix. Married once. Yeah. Felix talks about how he was married once. And there, because there was, I think there was, oh, you know, why aren't you married, James, or whatever? And there was, and Felix actually mentions that he was married once, and then you could see in in Timothy Dalton's eyes, like there was some pain, right? So they called it back to him being married, and that movie break the broke the mold because you would never expect James Bond to settle down and be married. That's the last thing you expected. So it's interesting that you think that that on her that was that, that was not Timothy Dalton. That was George. Lazenby. Right, there. no, but I'm talking about how Timothy Dalton called back to, to how he was married before. Okay. Well, you know what, um, uh, Andrew, there's also a scene in For Your Eyes Only where Roger Moore goes to visit Tracy's grave. Yes. And it's a yes. great little moment. He puts flowers on yes. her grave. And it's just yes. a good, it's a good thing to see that, you know, this yes. James Bond is this one character throughout these 24 films. Yes, so there is continuity. There's continuity. There's continuity. But I guess the so, overall point I'm making is that despite the fact that he got married in uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which broke the formula, it was still a successful film, which I'll use that same argument to say that while the formula was broken in Skyfall, I still would consider it to be a fantastic Bond film because it took some risks. There was definitely I, some risk taking with the, with the direction and with the acting as well as the specifically the screenwriting. And for that reason, I, I will put it, if number if not number three, then definitely number four in my, in my list. I think I, I agree with what you're saying. Like in On Her Majesty's Secret Service, the whole idea of marriage, they are breaking one of the rules. Um, one of the rules is that Bond never gets married. He never, he, he's never gonna settle down. It's never gonna happen. But the thing is, is with Skyfall, it's like they're, leaving maybe too many elements okay like they've okay. they've maybe they've they've dropped you know the gadgets the you know the girls the travel the this the that and don't get me wrong i think judy dench really deserved a standing ovation movie oh yeah but if if that's the direction that they just take the series from now on that will be disappointing for sure you know what skyfall also does have a great moment when he first meets silva uh, Javier Bardem, and he and he starts massaging his legs and says, "Did your MI6 training ever train you for this? You know, always uh, first time for everything." And then Bond goes, "What makes you think it's my first time?" Oh, so Bond might be bisexual. Oh, okay, that's really interesting. I never picked up on that. I don't <laughs> never picked up on that. That scene where he's where he starts rubbing his legs in Skyfall, and Bond says, "What makes you think this is my first time?" That was so. Yeah. Anyway, that's I, I missed it. <laughs> I missed it. Gotta rewatch. I don't. Mean, I'll have to go back and watch it because you know we're living again. We're all progressive people. So if James, if you're saying that there was an innuendo or or sort of an implication that James may be bisexual, I didn't pick up on it. But that's interesting. That that it's it, that's it an interesting. Could very, um, very well be implied, right? And then yeah, and then he goes, "Oh, Mr. Bond." He's taken back by it when he says that. Yeah. But anyway, guys, I'll go into my final film so this is one of my favorite films it's definitely in my top five I love it but if I was to be absolutely objective I would say this is the best Bond film made to date and that would be Casino Royale um, I just think Casino Royale when it first came out I was on the anti-Craig list for sure because he got a lot of flack when he was cast as James Bond, you know, he wasn't the typical leading man that people expected, not tall, blonde, not particularly handsome or good looking, but it just goes to show you that if you are a good actor, you can do anything because to this day, I don't care what anyone says, Daniel Craig is not 
an ideal Bond. He's not tall, he's not good looking, he's not handsome, he's not really elegant, but he's such a good actor that he can pull it off. And I just yeah, think Casino yeah. Royale strips everything away. It's a great origin story. That whole mm. poker scene is absolutely mm. riveting. It's like an action scene. I absolutely love it. Best Berlin, I think the mm. best Bond girl, elegant, classy. I can absolutely see why Bond falls for her. Stunningly beautiful. The action scenes that whole action scene with the parkour running the 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 whole uh, fight scene in miami and uh the torture scene extremely well acted i just think this Ooh, is probably just, the most I'm, crafted and well directed bond yeah. film so it's one of my favorites and i think casino royale is up there i agree that's the one where i i don't want to like take away from your very um you know well thought out uh interpretation like of that film because I, I agree most of it but when you talked about the torture scene is that the one where they're taking the rope and hitting them in his in his uh yeah his little boys there or i just i don't know how big they are but <laughs> ooh, i just like if i want to have if i want to father a child one day i don't think i can even watch that scene like just i think just by watching that scene it would stop my ability to have children just watching that scene I just want to say this, this was also a complete reboot for the cinematography as well. Yes. Um, they they oh, totally yeah. went yeah. away from these sort of like flat standard looking sets to like, like the camera motion. They started doing shots, like just in one shot, eliminating yeah. unnecessary yes. cuts. Um, it was a, a very welcome reboot in terms of cinematography. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. One of my favorite scenes before we wrap it up, I just, one of my favorite scenes in that movie, of course, was when they're, when he's taking that drink of the martini and he starts to. Yes. And he knows, he realizes that he's been poisoned and it's like a very quick life or death scenario. And he has to go back to the car and fucking defibrillate himself. That's one of the scenes um, that sticks out of my mind the most because he is literally, if he cannot get to that car fast enough and get the defibrillator out, um, he's going to die. So guys, I have one final question before we wrap this up, but just to make it clear. So my three favorite Bond films, or, you know, my, they'd be in my, my top 10. I love these films. I got Dr. No from Russia with love and Casino Royale. Alex, how about you? Um, sorry, what? <laughs> which which <laughs> were your three films again? Your three films. Oh, the three films. Oh, just to wrap it up. Yeah. So we got Goldfinger, number one. Uh, number two, The Spy Who Loved Me, and number three on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Nice. And you, Stu, part? Uh, so I was wrestling the entire episode, and, I, and I'm very conflicted. I'm Even to this moment, I'm very conflicted. But if I had to really nail it down for you, Goldeneye, number one, love Pierce Brosnan, love Goldeneye. Number two, Goldfinger, classic. And then number three, I, I kept wrestling, but it may actually be Skyfall. It may be Skyfall. Awesome. All right. So last question, guys. So your top three favorite Bond actors or maybe rank all of them or just give your top two. But basically, who do you got and why? Uh, I guess I'll start first. So uh, number six, I got to go with uh, Mr. Lazenby. You know, he only did one film. He's got to prove himself a little bit more. A very gifted physical actor, but not a great uh, actor when it comes to the emotions. Two uh, or five, I got to give it to Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton was basically Daniel Craig before Daniel Craig came along. He tried to take it back to Ian Fleming, make it down and dirty and gritty. But I think people yeah. just didn't accept it because it was right after Roger Moore. And yeah. it was such a different contrast. That it was a huge contrast. Yeah. yeah. And he was just a little bit too flat. He was a little bit too flat for me. Yeah. And also Timothy Dalton, he, he, didn't, he didn't understand humor at all. Like, no, no, not at all. He comes from a very Shakespearean, he's a very intense actor, very dramatic, but very awkward when it comes to humor. Uh, four, I got to give it to Roger Moore. He always will have a special place in my heart. He is the funny Bond. Anytime I want to watch a campy, funny Bond film, I go with Roger Moore. Uh, three, I go with Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig is the most believable when it comes to an assassin who will beat you up in a fight. That's Daniel Craig, right? But in terms of getting the ladies and being elegant, uh, not buying it. But I love him. He's a great modern Bond. Two, I got to go with Pierce Brosnan. Like you said, Andrew, he balances the toughness, the charm, the wit, the ladies' man, the class, and the badass really perfectly 
well. And I, I just, he didn't get the best Bond films. His only really great one was Goldeneye. And I, I, I think if Pierce Brosnan was in his prime and maybe did Casino Royale, it, it would be absolutely even more amazing than it is. And number one, I got to go with Sean Connery. He's the one that balances it all just yes. absolutely yes. perfectly. Yes. He's still one of my favorite actors. I, You know, when he passed away recently, rest in peace. And when I found out he passed away, I have no shame in saying this. I bawled my eyes out. I cried because he was yes. such a huge influence on me as James Bond growing up that I was just like, I felt like a part of me died because James Bond influenced my youth so so much so number one i gotta go with connery but uh, how about you alex where do you stand i'm just gonna do my top three um number three i think uh george lazenby uh oh, i think he's i think he's an underrated james bond i i i would have i would have liked to see more out of him other aside from just the one movie yeah um number two of course piers brosnan um you know growing up he was definitely number one uh, but I think, you know, after after further review, um, I absolutely love Sean Connery. I yeah. think he is the definition of cool as a cucumber, shaken, not stirred. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, like his attitude in Goldfinger where he's, um, you know, he's being held hostage, essentially. He's a prisoner. But it just seems like he's just like hanging out with the bad guys, <laughs> having a good time, you know. And and that's just who he is. He just per personifies this, this relaxed yet, yet cold, calculated bad boy image. It's everything you want in James Bond. It's really sad that, uh, that he did come back to do some, some not as good, never say never again type movies. Uh, yeah. um, I, I wish that he quit while he was ahead because like his movies were the best. There's just no, no, two ways about it awesome and andrew where do you stand um pretty simple guys so uh, it is very close it's it's really difficult to rank but if number three daniel craig i think he's done a phenomenal job rebooting quote unquote the series and just giving a fresh breath of air to this to this character who's you know has there was so much expectation set ahead of time um, how do you follow up that? But he did a fantastic job breathing some new life into the into the franchise. Uh, number two, Pierce Brosnan. Um, I'll reiterate what we said. He's a perfect balance um, of, of, of the wit, of the humor, of the cold killer, of the spy. And then, of course, we have Connery on top. Connery is the man who started it. He, um, you know, he's the one who set everything in motion from day one when it was brought to the silver screen. So I have to give him uh, kudos. Awesome. So our top two are all the same. We got Connery and Brosnan. That's awesome. Exactly. All right, guys. Well, that was our James Bond uh, episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it. As always, please, if you like what you saw, hit the like button, subscribe, follow us also on Spotify, the Lockdown Lowdown, and we will give you more awesome content. Thank you so much for watching. And as always, we will see you next time. Da, 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 da.